Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Different people communicate in in different ways. I know between Lisa and I, we communicate in different ways. When I tell something, I tend to go more deep into the history or whatever's going on. And when she tells something, she gives a shorter version or a shorter story than I. Now there's a plus and a minus to both of those. Sometimes with mine, you know, I'll be starting to tell somebody something and she'll kind of let, let me know, you know, you need to shorten it up a little bit here. They don't need to know where you were born and uh, to, to make this relevant. And at other times, when she's telling a story, sometimes I'll recognize that they're not quite connecting the dots she's connecting. So I'll kind of help her fill in a little bit of detail in there to help them connect the dots a little bit. And so different people communicating different ways. The reason I bring that up is because Luke communicates in a little bit different way from Matthew, who communicates a little different way from John. And, and that's why we're looking at all three of the different uh, ways to give us a fuller picture of what happened on that Christmas and what it means in our life. We noticed last week that with Matthew writing to Jewish people, he quoted Scripture a lot and referred to the prophecies and pointed to Jesus' fulfillment of those. Luke, even though he could have started his book with a prophecy, because he starts with John the Baptist, and the Old Testament closed by predicting the coming of John the Baptist, even though Luke could have started with a prophecy, he didn't. But he wasn't writing to Jewish people. He was writing to Greek people. So they weren't quite as interested in the fulfillment of prophecy as important as it is. He won't stay away from it completely, but he doesn't have the emphasis on it that Matthew does. He's the one gospel writer that starts right off the bat telling us exactly what he's trying to do. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Kind of a cool name, isn't it? That's the name of my iPod. Did you know that? When I first got an iPod to record sermons and stuff on for church, I didn't know how to set it up, so I told my son Dan, he set this up for me. And he said, well, what do you want to name it? I said, name it. So he named it Theophilus. But that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, Luke wrote two books that are in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Both of them are obviously history books. We know from the Bible that Luke is a physician. He's a doctor. And so Luke's writing is very different even from the other Gospels. Most of the Gospels... People usually organize them into what they call the autoptic gospels and the synoptic gospels, okay? John is an autoptic gospel, auto, like if you think of autobiography, auto. In other words, it kind of stands alone. And it's distinct from the other gospels. Whereas Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they cover a lot of the same materials. But of those three, Luke stands out with some differences. And I think it probably has to do somewhat with his being a doctor. And that is, he's very personal, he includes a lot of people's names and who they were. And, and so it's in the book of Luke that you get like the story of Zacchaeus and, and uh, the rich man and, and Lazarus who begged at his gate. And so you get some content from Luke that is very personal and concerned about people. But at the same time, he's a very accurate historian. In fact, I remember reading a book years ago where an atheist was set out to prove the Bible wrong, as many of them has tried to do. And this atheist said, you know what, he's attacking the book of Acts. Because he said, Luke wrote the book of Acts with such detail, so many names and places and things like that, that he would surely have made a lot of errors, so it would be easy to show where Luke, where the Bible was wrong. And, of course, in the conclusion, the man became a believer. And uh, said that Luke has to be one of the best historians of all times. Well, Luke is a historian. He's going to give us a lot of detail. In fact, when he starts in the, in the book, and he's going to start telling about the birth of Jesus, he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He starts with the guy that's going to be the forerunner for Jesus. At the close of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, God promised he's going to send a messenger ahead that's going to prepare the people to get them ready for the Messiah when he comes. Well, several hundred years later, here comes John the Baptist. He's a cousin of Jesus. And so we start off with finding a proclamation. The angels come and let Zacharias know that his wife Elizabeth, who is barren, and they're older in age, kind of a pattern for God, he's going to have Elizabeth bring forth a child and he's going to be the forerunner of the Christ. Well, then after that, it goes into the proclamation of the birth of Christ. And we see Mary visited by an angel and telling about her coming pregnancy. And then we get to hear about the birth of John the Baptist and then the birth of Jesus and all those things. And so at the point that we pick up in chapter 2, there's already been a good foundation laid for us by Luke of the events leading up to the birth of Christ, starting with his forerunner and then coming up to Christ himself. Now, in that There's, as I mentioned, a lot of focus on people and people's reaction. Now, I want to spell out some of that because we're going to bounce around through a little bit of them. And so if I could just summarize, what happens is Zacharias gets told that he's they're going to have a baby. And he says, well, how will I know this? The angel says, okay, you're not going to be able to speak a word until that baby's born. Zachariah had been, uh, he was a priest and he was in burning incense in the temple, which was uh, quite a position. 
the priests would serve for a week twice a year. And then they would cast lots for who got to burn the incense. And so with as many priests as they had, you would get to burn incense one time in your life. And that was Zacharias' day. And isn't that cool? Even the casting of a lot put the right guy in the temple to burn the incense. God is in control here. And so he, through the casting of lots, brings Zacharias in to this, into the temple. And then he reveals to him what's going to happen. Israel is outside watching and waiting. And Zacharias comes out and he can't talk. And they're like, what in the world has happened here? Well, then time goes by. Mary finds out she's going to have a baby. She goes to visit Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth comes to Mary, she recognizes that the mother of her Lord has come to visit her because John the Baptist, who was in Elizabeth's womb, leapt when she heard the sound of Mary. And so she knew Mary's coming and that Mary was pregnant with Jesus. And and so anyway, Mary bursts out into this song. It's called the Magnificat. And remember what Luke had said. Luke said he gathered all of his information from eyewitnesses, the people that were there in the beginning. So I'm sure he got Mary's song from Mary. So she burst out into this song and she sang this song about her experience and the great things that God was doing for her and for the rest of the people. And that's recorded for us. We're going to visit that a few times. Well, then down the road, John the Baptist is born. And when he's born, they all get around to name him. And Zacharias hasn't been able to talk the whole time. So they go to Elizabeth and they say, okay, let's name him Zacharias. After his father. And Elizabeth says, no, his name's John. Because that's what the angel told him to name him. And they're like, John? Nobody in your family's named John. Let's go talk to Zacharias. He'll straighten this out. They go over to Zacharias. And Zacharias, they give him a pad of paper and all that. And he writes on this pad of paper, his name is John. And at that moment, his tongue is loosed and he's able to speak. Well, Zacharias goes into this big praise about God and what God is going to accomplish that his son gets to be the forerunner for, the the one that's going to prepare the people for all that's going to happen. And then there's a couple other people that come on the scene as well. Remember, Luke's all about people. And one's named Simeon. Simeon is a guy that was in the temple, one of the priests at the temple. When they bring Jesus to get circumcised, Simeon is in there, and he has some things to say about the Christ because God has revealed to him that he will not die until he has seen the Lord's Christ. And then lastly, there's a lady named Anna. Anna was a widow, and she was at the temple and prayed and fasted every day and night. She has some things to say about the Christ as well. So we're going to visit some of their statements about the Christ as we look at the events that recorded in the passage that we read as well. You ever get through the holidays and wonder if you really took advantage of them for what they were? I don't know about you, but I know I've gotten through the holidays before and thought, that was just such a whirlwind. I don't know if I ever really got the chance to celebrate or to sit and think. I don't know if my holiday was really all that it maybe should have been or at least could have been. I know I had the same thought even the other day. Lisa and I were mentioning how fast these different things were coming up, like the Christmas caroling here, and we hadn't gone to the play yet, which we went to last night, and the different things that were coming up, and how soon Christmas was coming upon us, and we're like, wow, I can't believe it's already here. And so I said, you know what? All right, let's stop and think about this. What are we going to do to make sure that we enjoy this holiday for what it's worth? I mean, there's some things already on the schedule. We're going to go do those things, but let's just stop and think and make sure that we approach this holiday the way that we want to. And that's what I want to focus on this morning is truly celebrating Christmas. As we do that, I want to look at five different experiences that I see within this passage that we read. It's celebrating Christmas. The first one that I see is pardon. 
I mean, it means to be to be pardoned, to be forgiven. It's it's kind of like you know, every year at Thanksgiving, the president pardons a turkey. They got one that was taken for dinner, and then he gets set free. He was doomed for the plate. He was headed to be cooked for the dinner, and he gets set free, let loose. Doesn't have to doesn't have to go through that that dinner. Doesn't face the end of his life. It's the same thing with us. We need to be pardoned. In fact, if you get everything else and miss this one, you've missed it all. Because this is what Christmas is all about. We need to be pardoned. We need to be delivered from our sins because every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of a very glorious God. And so we need to be saved. We need to be forgiven. We're, we're those turkeys that need to be pardoned, if I could put it that way, I guess. We need that, that pardon. We need that forgiveness. And that's what all through all the Gospels, you see this is highlighted. Look at it just within this passage that we see here. Look in verse 11. Verse 11 is the pronouncement by the angels, and it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. A Savior. When the, when the angels came to announce Him, they didn't announce to the shepherds that, oh, look, here's coming another king, although He would be king of the Jews. And He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But they didn't say that. They didn't say, here comes the prophet, who He is that. The Bible told Moses, through Moses, he told us another prophet will rise like me, speaking of Christ. So Christ is a prophet also. He's a priest. In fact, he's our high priest. But what does it refer to Jesus as? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. That's what we desperately need. Salvation from our sins. We need that pardon where we're set free from the condemnation that is over us because of our sin. We need that pardon. We see that all through the experience of Christmas in this passage. Mary says in chapter 1, verse 47, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And then down in verse 54 and 55, as she completes her song, she says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. You see, she's still speaking of that salvation, of that pardon, because she's looking back to the covenant. And we've spent a lot of time dealing with the covenants lately. But she ties it all the way back to Abraham and God's promise of blessing and forgiveness and salvation to Abraham that was given back in in His covenant is fulfilled in Christ our Savior. But then we go on from there in Zechariah's prophecy. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And then he goes on with the covenant as well. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, to show mercy, promise to our fathers, and to redeem his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And so he goes back to the covenant with David, the covenant with Abraham, and says, look, this is God fulfilling, just like Mary said, his mercy toward us, that we would be pardoned, that we would be saved. And so he speaks of the salvation as well. And then also, as we look in chapter 2 and verse 30, remember the old guy Simeon that I told you about that was at the temple? He said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then even Anna in verse 38 of chapter 2 was 
talking to everybody about Christ who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Every person, every single one of them, in thinking about Christ, pointed to his salvation, to the redemption, to the pardon, the forgiveness of sins, the mercy of God that is dealt out to us through his son Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is about. We enjoy a lot of things at Christmas. We enjoy the giving of gifts. And and I think that's a good thing because God so loved the world that he gave. And so we're a reflection of God as we give to one another. We get to enjoy the songs of praise and adoration, and those are, those are awesome. We get to enjoy a lot of uh, time with family and with friends, and there's a lot to be enjoyed during the Christmas season. All of that is because of salvation. All of that is because God sent His Son into this world so we could receive the pardon of our sins. When you put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ... You receive that pardon from Him. If you make it through all of Christmas and you get to do all the other fun things but miss that one, you've really missed it. Because that's the one that that seals your eternity forever. That's where the real experience of Christmas. Well, not only do we experience pardon, but we also ought to experience praise. We see that as we look at verse 13. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Can you imagine what that must have sounded like? That would, that would be phenomenal. A multitude. They're not even going to give you a number. There's just a whole host of them. This is a lot of angels. You know, I remember in Seattle, we're going to this thing called Basic Youth Institutes one time. And we, you kind of went every night to the week for, I think it was about a week. One of the things that I really enjoyed out of that ministry was the singing. Because we were in the Seattle Coliseum. And I don't know how many people attended this thing, but the Coliseum's huge. And it was pretty full of people. And we'd sing all these amazing songs and hymns and stuff. And to be in that size of a building with that many people all singing out these songs of praise, it's an amazing experience when you got all that sound and all that worship and all that praise. It's just, it's just phenomenal. I can't imagine what it must have been like to hear the praise of a multitude of angels singing on the hillsides outside of Bethlehem and at night, too. That enhances the noise factor as well. So that would have been an amazing experience. But it's not just the angels. And it's, and it's not just there. As we notice back with Mary again, her very starting point was, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. As soon as Elizabeth says, Wow, I can't believe the mother of my Lord has come to me. Mary says, Can you believe what He's done for me? And, that, and that's what she does. He says, He's done this and He's done this and He's done this and He's done this. If you read through the rest of the song. It's all about what God has done for her. It's not lifting, exalting herself at all. It's all about what God is doing for her. And she is praising Him for it. My soul magnifies the Lord. Well, if we get that first one, if we've experienced that pardon and we know what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, this is the natural response that our soul should magnify Him. Zacharias starts out the same way. The very first thing out of his mouth when he prophesied was, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So again, he goes back to focusing on the salvation. That salvation, that pardon is the reason, but the action that it prompted was praise. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And then also, as we look at the shepherds, the shepherds go into Bethlehem. They see the baby. They tell the family about the things that they've seen out on the hillside with the angels. They tell everybody else in town what's going on too because they can't keep it to themselves. And it says the shepherds returned in verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. 
You know, one of the things I was thinking about them last night, I was thinking about praise and how this should be a part of our Christmas celebration. And that's one of the reasons, one of the things that we do is we're gathered together here in church and we're singing praise and adoration to God. But all of a sudden it dawned on me, you know, the, the shepherds weren't in church when they were praising God. Where were they? They're on the way back to work, back to the field. You see, praise isn't limited to church. Now, you ought to be praising God in church. God designed that He's constantly through the Bible calling His people to assemble together and praise and adore Him in a corporate way. But you know what? We should be doing it much more than that. We should be praising Him in our personal life and, and as a family as you gather together for Christmas and celebrate Christmas together as well. It ought to include some elements of praise and being grateful to God for the things that He's done for us. In fact, in dealing with uh, Anna, it says in, in verse 38, coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She was giving thanks. That's another form of praise and adoration for God, saying thank you for what you've accomplished in our life through this pardon, through the sending of this one, through this Christmas. And so we need to experience pardon in the Christmas season. We need to experience praise as we get involved in praising God. We also need to experience ponder. Ponder. And the reason I say that, Mary pondered all these things. She pondered them in her heart. Notice as we see in verse 18, It says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It means that she just spent time thinking about it. She would treasure these things up. She would hold these and think about them as time would go on even. In fact, I don't doubt that she thought about these things later when Jesus turned the water into wine or when he started to gather crowds around him and started to teach. Even when he was at the cross, maybe she pondered remembered some of these things that were amazing from his birth. And so she thought about these things. She wasn't the only one. As the shepherds spread the news, the people, it said, wondered about these things. In other words, they're thinking about these things. What in the world's going on here with this baby and these shepherds coming in? And they're kind of curious and putting all these things together. Notice in verse 66 of chapter 1, it says, And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now that was right at the naming of John the Baptist. And the amazing things with uh, Zacharias all of a sudden being able to speak. And uh, nine months earlier when all of a sudden he wasn't able to speak after burning incense in the temple. And and all these things. And uh, people are talking about these things and wondering about these things. What does all this mean? What is this? And you know what? That's exactly what we need to do. We need to spend time in this Christmas season in the quiet. Able to just think. And to stop and realize and appreciate what God's done for us in our life through sending His Son to be our Savior, and to stop and think about what that means in our life and in the life of our family, the life of our church, the life of our community. We need to spend some time thinking. And you know what? That's harder to do in our day than it was in Mary's. And I think it's because we've got so many things vying for our attention. We've got uh, electronic things that are around us all the time. We have hardly any time that it's not interruptible by the phone going off or, or text coming in or notifications going off. Some of those things I've got to learn how to turn off a little better. I always usually say no on almost everything for notifications. Now I've got a, a thing that I started doing a while back because I've been talking to my brother-in-law back and forth with it through Snapchat. Snapchat always comes on and tells me about two people that I don't even know who they are are on Snapchat. I'm like, I don't care. I don't even know them. Yeah, I'll send them a goofy picture just for fun. But there's always something else to do. There's always another email to look at, or there's always something interesting on YouTube, or there's always there's just always something there. And you know what? We need to have some time where we don't have something there. 
some time where we can just sit and stop and think, or maybe the only thing there is our Bible. And as you start to stop and think, don't let those other thoughts of, oh yeah, you didn't do this get in the way either. Just push them off. You can get to them in 20 minutes, half an hour, and just stop and think. Lisa came up to me yesterday. I was sitting there on the couch. And she says, what are you thinking about? I said, Luke. She says, oh, good. <laughs> now, I have an advantage. I have to think about Luke yesterday. Otherwise, i got nothing to say to you guys today. So there's things in my life that prompt me to think about it. But you know what? Every year at Christmas time, I find myself coming back to the same thing. That I want to just, and maybe it's what sparked the messages the way I'm doing them this year too, but I want to spend time just reading through each of the Gospels. Not, not for you, not, not for this, but just for, just for me. Just stop and think and to reflect on what God has done for me and my family and my church and my community, my world, through the sending of His Son. So we need to experience that pondering like Mary did. Well, then also we need to experience proclamation because that was a big part of the experience as well. In verse 17, it says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Now that's talking about the shepherds and how they're spreading the good information. Um, we see the same thing when we look back to the situation with John the Baptist in chapter 1, verse 65. It says, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. It probably wasn't that hard for Luke to go back and get a lot of eyewitness information because these things were talked about all over the place. And that's good. You know, a lot of the times we look at talk like that and spreading news or information and stuff like that as, as gossip and look at it as negative. Well, spreading information can be gossip. depends on what our motives are. But it can also be very good. We should be talking about these things. This is not gossip to talk about these things. This is evangelism. This is edification, which means to build one another up. That's what happens when we share these things. And so as we celebrate Christmas, we should be speaking out and sharing our faith and, and wishing people a Merry Christmas. We should be proclaiming Christ. The angels proclaimed Christ. The shepherds who got the story went and proclaimed Christ to everybody. Then they bring the baby into the temple. And what happens is Simeon is proclaiming Christ. And then Anna ends up proclaiming Christ to anybody that comes by and is willing to listen and talk about it. At home with our families as we celebrate Christmas, we need to be talking about Christ. We need to be talking about what, what the real meaning of Christmas is. In church, we need to be talking about this as we are. Out in the community at large, we need to be talking about this. I love that Lisa told me the other day she got a chance to work with a bunch of little kids. And she said, you know what, I asked them, asked if they're excited for Christmas and what's Christmas about. And she said, you know, every one of them said Christmas is about Santa Claus. She said, they know different now. <laughs> now, I'm sure she didn't shoot Santa Claus in the foot. But she said, you know what, Christmas has got, got Christmas started. You know what Christmas is really about? If you don't teach that, you're teaching an inaccurate view of history. Even if you're going to do that in school, that's fine because it's history. It's about Jesus. That's what this season is about. Well, then also peace. I hesitated with this. In fact, I put it in very last. My hesitation is this. First of all, the word peace is used several different ways. We can think of our peace impacting our peace with God. And that's what we have through that pardon of our sins. Jesus Christ came to make peace for us with God. Before that, we're at enmity with God. And the Bible says he's made his enemies at peace with him through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. But then it also talks about in the proclamation of the angels, it talks about the peace among us. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So it's a peace among us, a peace that we have with one another. But then also we notice with Simeon in verse 29 of chapter 2, he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
The first one is dealing with peace with God. The second one deals our peace with one another. Uh, the third one deals with our peace with ourselves. Remember, Simeon had been told by God that he would not die until he sees the Lord's Christ. He sees Jesus Christ and he says to God, now I can die in peace. What, is, what does that mean? It means I can die satisfied. I'm good with this. Now I'm at peace. It's not talking about him being at peace with Anna, who's running around the temple, or somebody else. There's this peace within himself. He's completely content now because what God has just given to him in that first Christmas when Christ came into this world. Now, I hesitate to bring that up because they're not things that we create. You don't generate your own peace. Jesus came and made peace with us, with God. As we're made at peace with God, how can we not but become at peace with one another, who have also become at peace with God? And so there's a harmony in the family relationship. And then not only that, but as God satisfies the deepest yearnings of the human soul, that makes a peace within. And we are at peace with God. Christmas, a lot of times, can be seen as a chaotic time, a busy time, a crowded time. You've got a lot of errands to run and gifts to buy and things to do. And there's more programs that you've got to get to. There also needs to be peace. And you know, I don't think that the presence of activity means the absence of peace. At least it doesn't have to. If we reflect and realize what Christmas is really about, that we get to receive that pardon, that forgiveness of sin, that ought to help us to be at peace. If we get involved in praise, if we get involved in spending that time pondering those things as we proclaim it to other people, peace just comes as a result of those things.